Welcome to episode four of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoden, and also joined by the very first guest in the history of Blue Jays Happy Hour, Dan Schulman, will lead it off for us. We're very excited. You're not going to get to hear him yet because as a business model, it's just smart to hook you and have you wait through the rest of the podcast <laughs> to hear his voice. Um, one tradition for Blue Jays Happy Hour is that we tend to have some calamitous event befall the Blue Jays about you know five to ten minutes after this podcast airs. So, Stone, I'll throw it to you. What do you think is going to happen to the Blue Jays today <laughs> immediately after uh, this podcast goes out? Uh, you know, I don't like to put bad vibes out into the universe um, for that stuff. But I could, like, like, you know, injury stuff, which is just a real obvious one to go to. I know Nate Pearson is going to start tonight. So that's so the calamity would have to happen before the game. So that's uh, we can rule that out. Um or is Pearson, is Pearson going tonight? I don't even know. Maybe I'm making that up. doesn't matter. Uh, we'll put that aside. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it's got to be an injury thing, right? I mean, that's almost better than the first thing that happened when we started the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think you could make a strong argument for that. Yeah. So I, what about you? I'm going yeah, go, to go wildly specific. I think when you're making predictions like this, you want to go extremely specific so that if you are right, then you look like a prophet. Uh, and if you're wrong, people respected that you took a shot. So here's my prediction. <laughs> I'm going to predict peek a, behind a, the window there. All a right, specific like injury um, to a specific player in a specific way, kind of like Clue, where you've got the room and the uh, the weapon and the suspect. I'm going to go Tyler Chatwood, oh, no. uh, and the injury is going to be a hand injury, and the injury is going to come as a result of, you know when you take a glass out of the dishwasher and it's too hot, then you put <laughs> cold water into it and it just shatters? Yeah. That's what's going to happen. It's yeah. going to shatter and cut up his right hand, and he's going to hit the IL. So if I'm wow. right about that, uh, I think I'll deserve some serious credit. And if I'm wrong you... about that, you know, shit happens. Well, I mean, if you're wrong about that, uh, thank God, because Tyler Chatwood's been really good. He is, uh, He's incredibly important to this bullpen. <laughs> he is but one of two reliable relievers, basically, right now. Yeah, I mean, I hope for the Blue Jays' sake and for his sake as a human being that that's not what happens. But... There isn't a tragic dishwasher <laughs> accident. <laughs> but I had to try my hand at being a prophet because you only get so many chances to that's do fair. that. Yeah. It's funny, when we started this podcast, I thought there was a risk that we would be talking about George Springer constantly because we kind of s- started just as the Springer era in Toronto was, in theory, starting. And I thought that that's something we'd be harping on every podcast to be repetitive. Instead, uh, it has to be Alec Manoa. Right? We, we can't have an episode go by without more Manoa talk. And I don't know if I want an episode to go by without talking about him. He's really exciting. But this story just continues to build momentum. And I think, you know, what's new this week? One, he had another start and he was excellent. Like maybe he wasn't equally as incredibly dominant as he was in maybe the first start. But it was still him, you know, thoroughly dominating AAA competition. And then the second part of it that I think is interesting is I thought there was a surprising amount of cold water being poured on the calling up Manoa train. Like I thought there'd be more enthusiasm. I know there isn't the fan base, but on the broadcast, there was a lot of talk of, oh, we saw pitches that, uh, you know, MLB hitters would hit. Uh, there were some columns that came out about, you know, being 
wise with Manoa and when's the right time and what other development he needs. I just thought that we would have kind of a runaway train and it seemed like for a couple people at least there was a little bit of pushback. Yeah, it's interesting, I think, uh, the way that people have definitely been trying to pump the brakes on this story, which, you know, generally with prospects, that is a good idea. But generally prospects don't, you know, do what Manoa did in spring training and then go and do what he's done in Buffalo so far. And I think that obviously, yeah, it wasn't necessarily as good a start uh, as he had in his first couple of ones uh, for Buffalo slash Trenton. Don't don't let me disrespect the fine folks of Trenton. but, but as well, you know, he was using a lot of breaking stuff and he was using that as, as his out pitch. And it was what struck me was that how Ross Atkins had said uh, in his weekend Zoom session, he talked about, you know, he wanted to, you know, the, the, the fastball is just such a weapon, especially against, you know, minor league hitters that he wanted to see him maybe using more of the changeup and the breaking stuff. And then Manoa just went out and did it and dominated as well. And, I, you know, he's making it very hard for them to, to hold him down. And if he's down for one more start i don't i don't think that that's that they're necessarily going to hold him down for one more start i know charlie montoyo said uh you know was not definitive not that the jays are ever definitive about anything but wasn't exactly definitive about stripling getting his next turn in the rotation uh ross stripling is bad uh he was really good uh two starts ago and then he went back to reminding us of uh, why that one's not looking like one of the winners uh, in the, the trade ledger of Anthopolis and Anthopolis, Jesus, good lord, of Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro. Um, so yeah, I the the cold water is a bit surprising, but I think, well, I don't want to insult anybody, but uh, but sometimes it's just like you hedge your bets and you're, you're you know you want to look like you know what's going on, which I I don't know if the Blue Jays know what's going on, so I don't think pumping the brakes makes a ton of sense, except in that. You know, you sort of look at the the history of guys like that, and then I, I think that like oh, now that we're sort of past the point of being like oh, only seventeen pro innings, uh, I think that that should have eased up the brake pumping a bit. You know, I think because you know we know that he pitched a lot at West Virginia in twenty nineteen. We know that you know he didn't have a year last year, but he's you know Atkins said he's a, a great foundation to you know to continue to be a starter, um, and that was sort of the thing that I think people thought would hold him back is that he was just so green and. He's a guy of a, a college pitcher two years from being drafted who, you know, that's when guys like that get called up to the majors for the first time. I, I don't I don't see why the, the, it shouldn't be a runaway train, frankly. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit last time. There's this difference between, you know, thriving and dominating. And if he was doing well, like let's say he had, I don't know, I'm just going to make up some numbers here, but let's say he had like a 350 ERA and he was striking out exactly a batter an inning and maybe walking three point something per nine. And you'd say, oh, he's doing really well down there. Like we were really encouraged about Alec Manoa or, and uh, you know, he's someone we see as a big part of the future, but there's a difference between that and and what he's doing now which is kind of making a mockery of the level it is only three starts <laughs> yeah. there are you know he maybe he'll come out and do a fourth start and it'll be brutal and all that stuff but pitching is so much easier to tell because it's all in his control right it's all coming out of his arm that stuff you can evaluate that stuff and Atkins talks about objectivity a lot i think that you know that is the way his mind is geared and i don't think that that's necessarily the negative that some people have presented it as when the results weren't as good as they are now 
but you can take his stuff and look at it objectively. How, what is the spin rate? What is the velocity? How much do these pitches move? And it's very clear that, you know, he's checking every box there. You know, I, I think I saw in one column about, you know, he hasn't gone past six innings. Well, first of all, in the major leagues, people don't really go past six innings that much anymore. And he wouldn't necessarily <laughs> right. have to do that with the Blue Jays. Like, it feels like in some ways, you know, Atkins said, yeah, like you mentioned, he said he needs to throw more breaking stuff and change up. I think the change up in particular, you could make a case about that. But it seems like they're kind of putting hurdles in front of them that maybe aren't like there are almost artificial hurdles. Like I don't think he necessarily needs to have this ace change up to do well at the major league level. I don't think he needs to be able to push super deep into games um, or be as economical with his pitches as, you know, Ryu would be to be someone who can really help them right now. And we talked about, you know, mentioned Ross Stripling is bad. It, it is kind of as simple as that. He's got a track record of success, but that track record is getting farther and farther in the rear view mirror. And there's just nothing he's done recently other than that little four inning span um, the other night that shows that he's going to be capable of giving them innings that won't constantly put them in a hole. Yeah, I you know, they've been talking about him tipping his pitches maybe, which, you know, if you're Ross Stripling, you hope that's kind of it because it's really been ugly. But I would also say to the, you know, back to Manoa, because this is obviously the Alec Manoa podcast, that's what we do. Um, I think the point about not going deep into games, you're you're absolutely correct, but also an important uh, bit of clarification is that the, the second start, uh, I think he could have gone longer, but it had to sit for like 20 minutes because the... The Bisons had like a six-run inning in the sixth or seventh. Uh, that like he was just on the bench for so long that I think they they were like, okay, he's done for the night. Uh, whereas if that inning had gone quickly, he might have gone back out and might have gone up to ninety pitches or so. And uh, and I think his last one, he was you know he was right there as well. And that he did pitch deeper into the the most recent game. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's a worry. I don't think that's a worry. I don't think like oh, it's a bit uh, you know he's leaving a slider up in the zone. I don't think that's a worry either. It's like well. He'll figure out real quick that he can't get away with it, and that's sort of how he's going to have to improve. It's like when you can get away with it, you're just sort of spinning your wheels. I, I don't know how well he's being served in AAA right now, and that doesn't mean I wouldn't be fine with another start or two more starts, but if it keeps going like this, like more than that, it's just it's, it, it's overkill, I think. And, you know, obviously the Nate Pearson situation shows us that it, it may not it may not be easy for him. It may not go swimmingly. It may not go smoothly. His transition to the big leagues, he may just, you know, there may be things that set him back and things he has to learn. And he may have to end up going back down. I know the Jays would prefer not to, uh, not to send prospects back down once they've been up. But uh, I don't think the I don't think that's the we should be scarred by the Nate Pearson experience uh, into being like overly cautious with Manoa. Uh, not that it's our decision anyway, but I think. You know, it's uh, and, it's all there. It's plain to see. Like you say, he's the one in control. He's the one throwing the filthy stuff and just having that mound presence, which may not, which may be diminished in the big leagues. You know, it's a different environment. It's you know, the hitters are bigger and stronger and better and smarter and and all of that. Um, there's plenty of room for him to fall, though, right? Like he's yeah. so he can he can lose a ton of effectiveness in the and he will like he won't come up and do this in the major leagues. Like right. let's be very clear, he's not going to strike <laughs> out 27 and 18 innings or whatever with you know half a hit and less than half a hit an inning. That's not going to happen in the major leagues. 
but he can have significantly more struggle struggles than he's had in the in AAA and still be effective, still be an upgrade, still be someone who helps this team collect wins, which is important right now, obviously. Very important. In 2021. Um, So I I think that maybe the expectations for him should be tempered once he comes up in terms of, okay, the gap between AAA and the majors, we know that gap has been widening. Maybe he is someone who comes up and, you know, looks more like, at least initially, while he works out some things, more like a middle back of the rotation starter, not an instant ace. That's a conversation that you can have. But I think the conversation about is he ready to do something in the major leagues that's better than what the Blue Jays are getting, um, it seems like that should be wrapping up pretty shortly. Yeah, cannot disagree. Cannot disagree. So then the next guy that is getting this kind of buzz and it's not Manoa where it's like tomorrow he needs to get called up. But I find myself casting into the future and thinking about sort of who is that next guy. And, you know, Gabrielle Moreno has the look of that next guy where people are going to be clamoring for him. And it is partly due to need, right? You know, need drives us a lot. You know, if the Blue Jays had their 2016 rotation right now, the conversation around Alec Manoa would be very different. And, Mm -hmm. The Blue Jays catcher position, although there's quantity and there's varying levels of faith in um, in Danny Jansen and in Alejandro Kirk, whenever he can get healthy, that position, you know, we've I think we mentioned it in the past. Like the Blue Jays catcher of the future has been a bit of a dire label, and it has been a long grind. And just, I mean, you know, Moreno's played to be clear like ten games at the double A level, but. <laughs> Right. The numbers are offensively are ridiculous. You know, 415 average, 49 OBP, 634 slugging. Obviously, that's going to come way down. But he is someone who could potentially fill this need in the, I don't think it necessarily is 2021 in the not too distant future. But when I think of like, who's the next prospect that Blue Jays fans are going to be tripping over themselves to try and get to the big leagues? His bat right now, what he's doing in his first ace of double A, which at the very least is showing a ceiling. Obviously, it's not showing a consistent production level. When you have that bat, and he's just very well regarded defensively too, like a very complete player. That's always been the book on him. I see that guy as being, you know, I know that there's Austin Martin and there's Jordan Groshans, but when you combine the production, um, the all-around game with the need, he's the one where I think, oh, man, I can see the free Moreno train coming a little bit farther in the distance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that doesn't have a lot of, you don't have a lot of faith in Danny Jansen, obviously, which, uh, why should you at this point? Which is which is unfortunate. So I like Jansen and liked him as a prospect. And I, maybe there, I, I'm not bailing on him yet, but... Like much like Ross Stripling, it's like the track record of being able to hit is getting farther and farther in the rear view. And yeah, Moreno's a guy that obviously the Jays really like. I think he's, uh, you know, any of the insider types that 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 you know that have conversations with Gil Kim and stuff like that. Whenever, you know, whenever you hear the catching depth mentions, like he was he was more the guy than Kirk, uh, even though Kirk was a little ahead of him just because he's older. Even though Moreno had to be put on the forty man, which I think is also something that's probably gonna. Uh, or has a chance to to uh, to speed up his timeline uh, because there are you know they already had to option him this year because he had to be protected from the rule five last year which would have been um, would have been something if somebody had taken him but the Blue Jays with Elvis Luciano showed uh, 
the teams think differently about about that. So they well, if you're the Pirates, like, if I was yeah. the Pirates, I absolutely would have grabbed Gabriel Moreno. You know, like you, yeah, you can't. 100%. Even when prospects are fairly far out, you just can't roll the dice on something like that. No, absolutely. So he's, you know, that sort of starts one of the clocks, one of the many clocks. And uh, and yeah, I think you're right. I think he's, the, per- the performance so far is, is you know, ahead of schedule and, and bigger than what we, you know, you would expect. But he definitely checks a lot of the boxes, more of them than both Jansen and, Moran- or Jansen and Kirk. And I think that... Uh, that, yeah, I can see that. Even though you know, we can't sleep on Groshans and uh, and Martin because they're just sort of higher profile names. But uh, because those those hype trains are going to start happening pretty soon, I think as well. If they ever you know start to hit, or if Martin ever gets back on the field, yeah, that that would be a big one. I uh, we've been tracking. It, I think it's changed a little bit. Might have changed over one day. We were tracking the hit by pitches with Alec Manoa very closely. Very important <laughs> yeah. stat. Um, and I was, I was looking at Austin Martin the other day because I was just wondering how he was doing. And I, I think it was yesterday. I think he got a hit or not yesterday. Anyway, of, as of very recently, a quarter of his uh, times on base were via the hit by pitch. He had been hit four times already this season. So I mean, he's got go. he's got the Geyer gene that helps him get on base <laughs> at the top of a lineup. Uh, very important. The Reed Johnson um, ability. That's right, yeah. Which is yeah, that's that's huge in prospects and pitchers. I don't want to see it, and in hitters, I absolutely want to see it. I'll be the one guy who's tracking that statistic. <laughs> the, the hit by pitch, yeah, important, important stuff. Yeah, we're doing right. I now. mean, it is interesting how quickly these perceptions change, right? Because at the beginning of the season, I think most people felt pretty good about the Blue Jays' catching situation. They felt, you know, Jansen is a guy who can play defense and maybe he can still find something in that bat. And then Kirk is a guy with this potentially special bat. And it really does, you know, it takes a little bit over a month and a half. And now we're, we're not feeling like Jansen's bats come back. That's not to say it never will, but he just continues to not give reasons to believe. And then, uh, you know, Kirk has this relatively serious injury and then suddenly 10 games, throws a spotlight on a guy who is a little bit away from being that catch of the future. But I think if you'd ask people, I know that, like you said, like the people who talked to Gil Kim and inside the Blue Jays building, he was always uh, really highly prized. But I think from the outside, a lot of people coming to the season might've told you that he was almost surplus to requirements because they had two pretty young catchers already ready at the big league level who had skills that kind of complemented each other. And it's, kind of amazing how quickly that situation or to be fair maybe it's just our perception of that situation has changed this is true they also have riley adams as well who was very briefly up didn't get into a game and i definitely saw some people like oh man i really wanted to see what he could do and and I don't know I if I really want to see you. myself from being like, I don't think that's don't really think a you need deal. To know. I mean, to be fair, you know, Riley Adams <laughs> may well have a big league career, but I think we've all seen that uh, big, strong catcher who hits for power, strikes out a ton and can't walk before. That's a pretty familiar archetype. And it might be yeah. that Adams can be some version of that who's a backup. And then his, you know, his defensive value will kind of determine his future. But in terms of guys to get excited about, I think it's fair to not invest too much in that. Yes, I think that's that's a polite way to put it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, we've we've uh, we've made you guys wait 
long enough. We know why you're here. You want to see, well, you want to hear uh, a guy with the, the silky smooth voice and uh, all the insights about broadcasting and the Toronto Blue Jays. Here is our first guest. Needs no introduction, Mr. Dan Schulman. We are now joined by the first guest in the history of Blue Jays Happy Hour. It is Dan Schulman. This moment will either go down as an incredibly minor footnote in his career historically or be something <laughs> that he forgets within two weeks. Dan, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, my pleasure. Do I get a fruit basket or something? Or what's, uh, what, is, what does the first guest get? <laughs> it's, a, it's a revenue share thing. So uh, we'll, we'll see what we get. And then uh, it, it works its way down to you. It's kind of a trickle down system. Okay. Well, I am honored to be the first guest. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I want to start off by asking you a couple things about broadcasting. I think our audience is always interested in that kind of stuff. I know I'm interested in that. Um, just as a mini disclosure, like when I was a kid, I kind of thought I would do play-by-play. That was one of the things I really wanted to do. My mom actually caught me um, doing play-by-play for fictional Maple Leafs games in my sleep as a <laughs> child. So this is something always as interest to me personally, even if not for a listener. One thing that I'm curious about is that when you're watching a baseball game, or I suppose a basketball game as well, what level of backseat commentating goes on in your head as you're watching the game? Are you able to turn that off? Or when you watch a game, do you notice all the time, you know, this is something somebody missed? Or, wow, that was a really good comment. I, that's right. something I might not have thought to do when, if I were behind the mic in this game. Uh, it's a good question, and, and I will answer it honestly, even if it just doesn't reflect uh, upon me as well as I would like. The, the truth of the matter is... Yeah, most of the time you do kind of have your your broadcast ear going on. But like you said, it can be positive or negative. I, I can say, uh, and I'll give you a perfect example. I thought Chris Cuthbert did a hell of a job last night when John Tavares was down on the ice. And, and so, like, that's an extreme example, but that's when stuff gets serious, right? When we're, when it's not just all fun and games. And, and I, even though I don't do hockey, I imagined myself in in Cuthbert's spot. How, how do you handle something as serious as that. So I, I think it's kind of uh, almost like a subconscious thing where you can't turn that play by, hey, I'm a play by play guy, part of your brain off. Uh, and you listen to the things you hear and also things you see, you know, graphics and video packages and everything. You, you know, you're, you've been there. I've been there, right? So you're, you're always kind of imagining that you're in the chair. Are, you mentioned... <laughs> I, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was I was just going to interject. I, it, like I, I'm watching a band, which obviously none of us has done for a long time. I get the same thing where I'm just like, maybe in a, a worse way for when it's me, but just like, oh, the sound guy's got this all wrong, and and start you know start mapping out how uh, I think the you know the setup should be run, and I can imagine exactly what you're saying because that's a part of my brain I sadly cannot turn off as well. Yeah, and and it could be something about. Um, you know, the wording in a call, it could be, I'm a bit of a grammar cop, much to my son's dismay. And, and, you know, so it could be something like that, but it, but it also could be, wow, that was a great layout. Like the, you know, the play by play person, let that just ride for seven seconds. And, and that was perfect. Um, you know, so it could be any one of a hundred different things, but yeah, you're all, you're always kind of, that switch, I guess, is always turned on. Yeah, I think you make a good point about letting it ride, too. I think that sometimes that's one of the biggest differentiators between someone who's really good and someone 
uh, maybe who isn't quite at that level is the ability to kind of let the game eat for itself uh, and not feel the need to fill that space. And, and that's and I'll tell you, that's one thing. Like if you would ask me the day the pandemic started, give me 10 things that are going to be different for you going forward. I, I, I wouldn't have thought to say that one, but it is one because you don't have the the fans. And I know they're starting to come back now, but you don't have the noise. I'm not in the ballpark or I'm not in the arena. I would love nothing more. When I used to do Sunday night baseball, say we were in uh, in, in Los Angeles, and if a Dodger pitcher was trying to get out of a bases-loaded two-out jam, at, at two and two, I would say on talkback to the producer in the truck, if he strikes him out, I'm not going to say a word. Just walk him off. Meaning, like, just, you know, follow, have the camera follow him off. The crowd's going to be going nuts. I don't need to say anything. And you don't plan those things very often, but every now and again, if it's a big situation, that happens. College basketball, it happens all the time. You know, say you're doing North Carolina at Duke, and Duke goes on a big run, and now the North Carolina coach, who was Roy Williams until a month ago, um, now he calls a timeout, like, and the place is going bananas. What am I going to say to make it better? Just let it, you know, let it breathe. So I'm a huge fan of letting it breathe, but without the the, the fans in the building or in the ballpark or, or the same kind of ambiance, it's a little bit harder to do that. But, you know, it's one of a hundred things that are different about calling games these days. One thing I wonder about with guys like you who have a versatility and have done multiple sports, like it seems to me, and you can correct me where I'm wrong here, that a lot of this is quite reactionary. Like you're talking about things you can plan with guys in the truck. If X happens, then Y. But a lot of times, you know, there's no way of knowing what's going to happen. That's part of the great part of baseball. So when you're reacting, you have all this terminology for baseball and basketball in your head. Do those wires ever cross? Do you ever have something pop up in your head and you think, nope, that's... Exactly the wrong thing to say in the situation. Uh, no, I don't think I've ever crossed the wires between the two sports. I mean, I, I cross my wires in my personal life like three times an hour, and it's so it's amazing, you know, that I that I don't do it in my professional life. I'm I'm stumbling around aimlessly in my personal life more often than not. But um, on the air, I, I think I just try to always, you know, uh, you know, kiss, keep it simple, stupid, right, and, and say. When, what it boils down to sometimes in the biggest moments is just keep it short, say what you see, just say what you see. And, and um, so the, the one thing that I do notice between the two sports is obviously the difference in pace between baseball and basketball are extreme. So I, the, analogy, the uh, lousy analogy that I always use is uh, uh, I finish baseball and it's like I'm walking at a three mile an hour pace on a, um, on a treadmill. And then my first basketball game is a week later, and it's like I turned my head for a second, and while I was looking away, somebody changed it from three miles an hour to eight miles an hour, and now the thing's just flying, and I'm trying to keep up. So th those first couple of basketball games for me uh, are always a bit of an adjustment. But I may be wrong, but I like to think I've got, I got most of my mistakes. You know, I've been doing it a long time, so I think I got most of my mistakes out of the way early, and, and, and they still happen, but... I think I also handle them better right now. I, I have no problem kind of making fun of myself if I say something I shouldn't and let, letting viewers in on the joke. I, you know, I think it, it kind of humanizes the whole thing. When it comes to baseball, what is your sort of, I mean, I, and again, I know every play can be different. You know, a triple can be a misplay double that was a high fly ball and nothing exciting, or it can be one of the most exciting plays you can conceive of. But when you think of baseball, like what is your favorite play to call or just your favorite play as a fan i was gonna say like my 
all-time favorite player. This is kind of silly in modern baseball, but I can't get enough of a squeeze bunt. Like, I love modern baseball. I love home runs, but especially a suicide squeeze, always going to be my favorite play in baseball. Do you have one of those? Um, so, yes, I do. And, and it's, a, it's a great question. And, and believe it, if, of all the questions I've been asked of all the years I've done this, I've never been asked that question before. And it, it's a great question because I, um, uh, I, I actually do have one. We were just talking about it the other day. Um, my favorite is runners at first and second and somebody hits a ball up the gap, right center or left center. And there's just, it's a lot of fun. There are so many things happening. So the ball gets hit and you're following the ball and you're looking at the outfielders and you're saying, is it going to split the outfielders and get to the wall? And now whoever the lead runner is, Stoughton rounds third and he's coming home. So now you've dealt with Stoughton. And now your next priority is, well, here comes Ashbourne. He's going for third. And then you got to look out and see if they're handling the relay properly. And it, I think that second runner, that trail runner, can he score from first on a double? That's my favorite play. I mean, I love a stolen base. I love a triple. You know, home runs are fun. I'm not saying they're not. But it, it's that it's that double and, and whether or not the trail runner is going to score that I really love the most. I mean, I think that kind of speaks to sort of the criticisms of modern baseball, right? That it's not as kinetic as it used to be. And those are the type of plays like you described, where there's just so many different points of action going on. And it's not like that doesn't happen. I think sometimes it can be exaggerated, but that is the type of stuff people want to see more of in baseball today. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, it's a fine line. You know, you don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be the old guy yelling at a cloud. And I don't think I am a, the old guy, you know, get off my lawn or I'm mixing my metaphors. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to be that guy. And I, I don't think I am that guy, but but I do think things like the ball in play, and obviously there are some, hey, a ground ball to second is not very exciting. I get that. But I think the ball in play more shows off the athleticism of the sport better, whether it's from a speed point of view or from a defense point of view. And I think, you know, relays are exciting. I think triples are exciting. Even something silly like going first, it's not silly, going first to third on a base hit is exciting, you know. Um, and, and I under, I understand analytics. I'm a uh, I majored in statistics and actuarial science. Like I I'm at my at my base. I'm a numbers guy. Uh, but uh, I also think that um, you know some of these plays that we don't see as often are really really exciting. And and um, uh, the ball the ball in play more doesn't only lead to excite more exciting things, but it does lead to a fair number of exciting things that we just don't see quite as often anymore. And you said, speaking of kind of on the analytics, it's interesting striking that balance with the audience in terms of what you do and do not use. And if you saw a broadcast, I don't know, even five or six years ago compared to today, I know Stackcast has a lot to do with that, but even beyond Stackcast, it's changed a lot. And I find myself wondering, how do you kind of keep your finger on the pulse of, okay, where can we push this? Where is this going to be hard for the audience to understand? Because... I know that a lot of the times you can sort of see fan sentiment through Twitter. That's sort of the easiest way to see it. But there's also kind of a, and this term has become a little bit fraught with other things, but a silent majority, if you will, of fans who aren't necessarily engaged with that. And those people are probably the ones who may be a little bit older, a little bit less familiar. And that's a big part of the baseball constituency. So how do you kind of figure out where they're at and what is open for you in that realm? It is a very tricky one. And sometimes the way I think about it is on the one hand, I've got my dad. And on the other hand, I've got my son. 
and they both love baseball, but they look at it completely differently. I can promise you this line has never been said in a conversation between me and my dad. Hey, did you see Vladdy's slash line this morning? Like, that's not come up. Nobody has said that between me and my dad. But my son, of course, totally knows what a slash line is, and and he'll talk all kinds of analytics. So we and, and we do talk about it at Sportsnet. And uh, you know, back when I was doing Sunday Night Baseball five, six, seven, eight years ago, it, it, as you said, Nick, this is when this stuff, kind of stuff was really coming in. And it, it it it's a very common conversation. Some of it, I think, is better suited to articles such as the ones that both of you write, rather than being in a game broadcast. Um, and, and, you know, I may be wrong on that. I could understand people having a difference of opinion uh, in, in that situation. But so we, um, and I don't even pay attention that closely, but I think when a batter comes up now on a Sportsnet game, you see OPS at the bottom. You, you, like you used to see batting average home runs, RBIs, maybe stolen bases. Now you see OPS. So that's something. But are we going to get into... You know, BABIP gets mentioned, but are we going to get into FIP? I don't think we're getting into FIP on a broadcast. Like there, I don't know where the line is, but there are some where I just think it's too far to go for an audience as general and as broad and as diverse as ours. And and you might catch me every now and again explaining it. Like if I say BABIP, chances are very strong I'm going to say, and for those who don't know, that's batting average on balls in play. And, and I'll explain it a little bit. So it, it's a constant balance, and the line has moved definitely over the last number of years, probably too far for some and, and not enough for others. But if you've got people dissatisfied with you on both sides of an argument, then I guess you're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you make a good point that a lot of stuff Stoughton and I write would not make for great audio. Definitely, <laughs> definitely have to... Uh, Get a little bit more succinct when we do do the podcast with some of this stuff. But you're right. It's about striking a compromise and it seems difficult to do. I do want to, you know, we have so much time with you. The podcast is Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'd like to get into some of your Blue Jays thoughts in part because I feel like with your role in play-by-play, I know that you do interject your thoughts at times, but it feels like the viewer of the TV on TV might not get the fullest sense of sort of your thoughts on the team and where you're at with them. So let's start super general. Like, What is your impression of the 2021 Blue Jays kind of a quarter of the season in and what you see them accomplishing? Uh, I think considering all that's gone on, they've, they've done a hell of a job to have the record they do. Um, you know, if, if, if you had told me before the season, Springer would have hardly played, Pearson would have hardly pitched, the fourth and fifth spots in the rotation would be what they are, and like five relievers would be on the injured list at any point in time. I might have guessed, you know, eighteen and twenty-three instead of twenty-three and eighteen or whatever it is, twenty-three and nine. You, you know what I'm saying? I I would have guessed a worse record than they have right now. So I, I think, and they've had a tough schedule, as you guys know. They haven't played the Orioles yet, no disrespect to the Baltimore Orioles or anything, but the Yankees have played them ten times, the Red Sox have played them ten times, and that's not nothing. So. Um, I think they deserve uh, credit for being where they are. I also feel, um, yes, they should try to contend this year, and yes, they might contend this year, but this is not a mature organism we're dealing with yet on this team. Like, we are legitimately still wondering about a lot of things about some of these players, whether it's what's Guriel, can Bo stay at short? Is Biggio going to be a full-time player? Is Kirk's bat for real? How quickly will Manoa get there? Is Pearson going to make it soon? Et cetera, et cetera. So 
to me, this is still kind of a bit of a transition year. And I may be in the minority. I know a lot of fans would say, well, hell, they made the playoffs last year. They got to make the playoffs this year, which kind of ignores that there were eight playoff teams last year and only five this year, which is a thing. But um, I think this year is not only a contending year, but it's also this is the year where they find out once and for all what they have and what they need. And I think they can be very targeted this coming offseason in going after what they need. So you mentioned a lot of questions there. I think the majority of those questions are definitely valid. Uh, but on this podcast, we really have focused on one because we got started at the end of April and it's kind of been a lot of Alec Manoa here. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure that you've heard this question, but where do you see the timeline on that being? And would you, where would you put yourself on kind of the optimism spectrum of Manoa's readiness to compete and contribute for the Blue Jays in the near future. So to me, the fascinating part about this is they obviously have a desperate need for him. Like who's going to argue that point or for somebody to solidify a spot in the rotation. But do you let that creep into what you feel is the overall best long-term plan for him? So I will tell you, uh, I watched his last start. I missed one inning, but I watched five of the last five of the six innings of his last start. I don't know if you guys did or not. Um, and it's by far the most I, I had ever seen him pitch. And the funny part is he went six innings, four hits, one run, one walk, 10 strikeouts, 94 pitches, 64 strikes. See, I told you I was a numbers guy. And um, those are great numbers against a team that had seen him already. Now, it is a team, Worcester or the Woo Sox, they strike out a lot. I looked them up. I wanted to get a bit of a frame of reference. Decent offensive team at AAA, but they strike out a ton. But I watched it, and maybe I went in expecting too much because, you know, the hype meter is at 11 right now on Manoa. But I thought he got away with a few pitches up in the zone. His stuff's really good. Like, nobody's arguing that. But I barely saw any change-ups, and I thought he got away with a few sliders up in the zone. Um, that maybe he doesn't get away with in the majors. And I thought guys chased a little bit, and maybe they don't chase as much in the majors. Um, like, I'm not downplaying it. It's, it's, he's terrific, and he's going to be terrific. And if you like guys who have a presence on the mound, Alec Manoa is for you. But I think, based on what I saw, there was a little bit more... Uh, smoothing out the rough edges than maybe I expected to see. And, and again, maybe that's not fair to him just because he set the bar so high. But I think at this point, and we all know the spot's coming up Monday and we don't know if Stripling's going to start and all that. And, and nothing at this point would surprise me. If, if we finish this podcast and two seconds later, I got a notification on my phone saying the Blue Jays are calling up Manoa, it wouldn't surprise me. But my guess is he stays down a little bit longer um, he's facing Scranton Wilkesbury, who, from what I looked up, uh, is they're a very good offensive team in his next start. And, and I think the Blue Jays are going to try to resist the temptation to call him up right now. He's coming up, and he's coming up as a starter, but I'm not sure he's coming up, you know, in the next week or so. Well, before we let you go, I'm going to give Stoughton a chance. Anything else you wanted to ask to impose on Dan's time? There's, there's only so much time we're going to have him on Blue Jays Happy Hour. <laughs> Any last thoughts? Are we going to release him into well, the wild? No, actually, I'm going to insist upon it because when I did Stoughton's previous podcast, he barely said anything either. So I, I, I think, I, I think he's got a, you know, 
I, I mean, this is not a silent partnership, I assume. Let, you know, let's hear, let's go. <laughs> I, I, I just enjoy being a passenger here. I have, uh, I have had the, the great luck of having wonderful colleagues and co-hosts who, uh, who do a great job. And so it just, it eliminates me talking over people, which we got some of earlier. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I didn't prepare a question, but uh, you know, we, we have been a Manoa pod, podcast primarily so far. Uh, I think you're absolutely right about, uh, he didn't look as good. I watched his other starts as well. He, he didn't look as good as the numbers probably suggest. I think, I, I, I think that's fair to say. I think he, he fought it a little bit in the first inning. Uh, and there were, you know, but let's, I, we'll, we'll put Manoa aside because there's also Nate Pearson and I'd love to get your thoughts on how he's been handled and how that sort of contrasts, you know, the, with Manoa, because that's another situation where they sort of threw him in and obviously he has more pro experience, more big league experience. Uh, but that was, that was a telling situation maybe for, for, for uh, like a cautionary tale for them, maybe with Manoa, but I'm not sure what, where are you are. Yeah. And, and I think that could possibly impact their decision and, and say, you know, maybe we shouldn't bring Manoa up yet. Look at what just happened with Pearson. But I, I think they're they're two totally separate guys. Um, uh, I was on the fan a few days ago and uh, I was asked about Pearson. And then my answer apparently was uh, depicted as hot take mountain. And I'm not a hot take kind of guy, but um, I'll tell you what I said because I've been fairly consistent in it. Um, you know, I Last year, he got hit around a little bit, right? I mean, he gave up some home runs, and his command was iffy even last year with the major league level. And he's a guy who's, to my knowledge, literally has never struggled before. I mean, I don't know his college numbers off by heart, but his minor league numbers are pretty impressive. And I thought, given how important he is and given how few innings he pitched last year, that there might be some merit to kind of easing him back in this year in what currently could be called the Trent Thornton rule. Uh, you know, the middle, and, and don't bring him in in the middle of an inning, but in the middle innings, you know, two innings, six to nine batters, however long it takes him. We all remember the guy we saw against the Rays in the playoffs. Uh, now, they were down eight to one in that game when he came in. But I thought there was some merit to just easing him back into the major leagues a little bit. I don't think they wanted to call him up when they did, but the bullpen was shot and they needed somebody that they hoped would get them, say, four innings, and Kay would get them three innings, and that would be enough. And bringing them up against Houston is, I think, is tough in a sign. The top five or six in that Houston lineup, it's it's really tough. I mean, you got smart, you know, all jokes aside about banging trash cans. They're really good, and 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 they're really smart, and and they can, you know, they can prey on a young pitcher. So. I thought it was kind of a tough spot for him, and I don't think we're going to see him all that all that quickly. I think he's really going to need to string some together in the minors before they consider it again. The thing I wonder is, I don't know if him being great in the minors means he's going to be fine in the majors. I don't know. So, um, you know, he talks about four pitches. He's obviously got an elite fastball at times, and he's had a very good slider at times. His changeup and curveball... He doesn't use as much, and I haven't seen him use as effectively. So I guess why I was uh, put on Hot Take Mountain is I said it wouldn't shock me if three, four years from now, he's the guy who closes Game 7 of the World Series, that he turns into that guy. I would love to see him as a starter. Obviously, there's more value there. But when I watch him, sometimes I think, you know what, I see a closer here. So, I mean, we'll wait and see. He obviously wants to be a starter. I think with the injuries, too, that – I don't think that's a hot take particularly at all. Yeah, no, I think that that's not what anyone wants to hear, but uh, but is very on point. The hot take would be saying that's Manoa right now. 
Correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and again, I'm not saying they should, like when I said they should consider easing him or I would consider easing him back in as a multi-inning reliever, that wasn't intended to be a permanent thing. That was like for this year, let him get 80 to 100 innings in that kind of role, let him build up his confidence, and then you get him back in the rotation next year. You, you do not want to make him a reliever until he proves to you over and over again he can't make it as a starter. And we're nowhere near that point. But I think Manoa comes up first. I think Manoa has more of an impact this year on the team. Um, you know, Pearson's pitching tonight. We're talking Friday. Pearson's pitching tonight. We'll we'll see how he does. But uh, we all know this. There are some cracks in the, on the pitching staff right now. They've done a great job, but there are some cracks. And whether it's Manoa or Pearson or Hatch um, or Merriweather, if he gets healthy and comes back in a month, they, they need some reinforcements if they're going to be a playoff team this year. Well said. Well, Dan, we really appreciate you uh, sharing some of your time with us, making a little bit of Blue Jays happy hour history. Uh, hopefully <laughs> this will go down as a nice little footnote for you if uh, we go on to wild, unprecedented success. Uh, absolutely. I will. You, you know what? I don't even need the fruit basket. The, I, I just need the screenshot. Uh, I'll just take the screenshot of the, uh, of the, uh, the fact. So if it shows up somewhere online that I was the first guest, all I need is that screenshot to make me right. happy. Beautiful. Thanks for coming <laughs> Thanks on. Thanks so much. As a little bit of Blue Jays happy hour history. I, I know as, as someone who, and I've done, you know, I've done a fair amount of podcasting, radio, etc. I still have that like slight little bit of discomfort hearing my own voice recorded. But hearing your own voice against a guy who has a legendary <laughs> voice like that is just like another level of, uh, yeah, just bearing you in that insecurity because he, he just has bit. the voice. He does. He does. No, uh, thank you so much to Dan for joining us. That was awesome. Before we wrap here, we're going to just look at the series ahead. You know, the Blue Jays are taking on a Tampa Bay Rays team that I think maybe coming into the season might not have gotten enough respect. You know, they'd lost a couple of big players, but they're on a tear. They come into the series with a seven-game winning streak. We know that they have, you know, outstanding pitching in their bullpen. They always do. They find starters. And then that lineup, there aren't a lot of guys that scare you, but they just tend to not be holes and they play matchups really well. Um, what What is your level of kind of, yeah, let's say, call it fear with the Blue Jays going up against the Rays? Uh, my fear, well, it'll be an interesting uh thing to see whether the Rays have fans who are going to come out to Dunedin. I mean, the Braves and everybody, the Red Sox, everybody seems to have fans that are, you know, coming out to Dunedin. We're all stuck here behind the border. So, uh, so it's not, I think, been a lot of fun for the Blue Jays uh, to be hosting games in Dunedin. I'm not sure Buffalo is going to get much better. I don't know how the, uh, the, 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 the inroads they've made into Western New York, whether that's, uh, that's real or not i think the yankees will probably have a pretty loud contingent when that happens yeah but as for, but as for the rays um you know i saw people tweeting about the success they've had over the recent you know over recent weeks or over the re most recent week 
which was very quickly uh, countered by the fact that they played the Degromless Mets and uh, and the Baltimore Orioles. So it's going to look like they're coming in real hot, and we should be afraid. But I, I, I'm not afraid of them for that as much as for all the stuff that you said about how you know well put together they are and how keen they are to to exploit matchups and and just uh just a dumb good franchise that that uh is able to be that way because they just don't play by the same rules as everybody else because they just don't care about you know loyalty to players or serving their fan base in any way yeah paying anyone or you know being in tampa full-time there's a lot of things that they have the luxury of being apathetic about uh one one thing that strikes me about this series is sort of the you know improbable pitchers are a little bit of a thing of the past in some ways as people kind of shift around pitchers a little bit more and you see more likely to see openers especially a team like the Rays. but the way this series is lined up right now it looks like you might get sort of these two intense fireballers off the top where you get Glasnow and then McClanahan, which McClanahan's just got to be frustrating for especially guys who aren't familiar with him. Just to see the Rays unearth just another guy who throws 100 and looks incredibly good as a starter as if that's easy to do. So you get those guys, one from the right side, one from the left. And then over the weekend uh, on Sunday and then into Monday, I guess, you're going to see the you know you're gonna see Yarbrough and Fleming who are two lefties that barely throw 90 miles an hour if they're throwing it and throw a million change-ups and don't strike anybody out and those pitchers are an interesting test because it's, it's almost a test of discipline like are you able to not swing at those pitches that are falling just off the plate and really make them come to you because if they are forced to come to you in the middle of the plate they don't have the stuff to blow you away so Working at bats is really crucial against guys like that. And some of the Blue Jays hitters, um, Bo Bichette <laughs> uh, specifically, maybe not perfectly designed to face off against that type of opponent. Yeah, I think that's true. And also, I mean, I believe Yarbrough's been quite good against the Blue Jays. And also, we see him all the time. Uh, and it never seems like a pleasurable experience. But maybe that, I didn't, I haven't looked up his you know, his fan graphs page and his splits with against the Jays just, you know, off the top of my head. Uh, and that may be just general uh, raisiness there because, you know, obviously nothing good comes out of a series with the Rays ever anyway. Um, but yeah, him in particular and obviously, yeah, and, and Glasnow and Clanahan, it's, it, it's, yeah, they're real good and they are, they are stupid at <laughs> unearthing those ty- types of guys. Um Never fun to see them. I guess it's the the consolation is that it's not at the trop, but it's also a four game series. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think and, and then not at the goodbye trop to Dunedin, is, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, not at the trop is so key. I'm not even talking in terms of competitiveness and who's going to win the games. Watching four games a row that just take place at Tropicana Field, it's just it's grim. Like regardless of the outcome, it's grim, and I feel bad for fans in the St. Pete's Tampa area or whatever. Because uh, even though I know they don't go to the games, I know they watch it on TV. And even on TV, it's just this concrete prison. And uh, so it is nice to get the Rays out of their den and face them on proper solid ground, if nothing else. Yeah, that's I guess that's the, the bright side of it. But no, they're, they're always going to be a tough matchup. And um, hopefully it was just a mirage with the uh, with the whole Orioles and Mets situation that they went through recently. 
you know, they're they're not that great. They're 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 good. They're a smart organization, but it'll definitely uh, be nice for the Jays to face the Orioles one of these days. The Orioles are almost good. Yeah. They're almost like a myth <laughs> at this point. Where are these guys? There's this it team out there that yeah. you're supposed to be able to crush every time, and uh, Jays can't seem to catch them. I mean, we're two months into the season. Yeah, it's uh, that just means a lot of games against the Orioles to come, which is good, which will uh, help them pad their record. But uh, yeah, you know, I looked for a piece last week. I looked through the schedule upcoming, and it's like there's two weeks before the uh, the All Star break where it's like, oh, it eases up a bit. But that's uh, you know, that's end of June, start of July. So we got a ways to go before things get real nice. You know, we've been talking about the the tough schedule the Jays had for the whole season so far. Um, which sort of implies that at one point it will balance out, but it's it's going to take a little bit longer. I think they have Cleveland coming up, and yeah, it's a tough more stretch. Yankees, and and you know the whole the whole thing is a is a tough stretch. Yeah. There's a, there's a little. I think July August you're going to see a little bit of relief in those dog days, which would be funny because that might be the time when they're at their healthiest and don't need to be facing more layup type of teams. But you never get to map this thing out perfectly, so. We will leave you guys there. Uh, A very exciting fourth episode of Blue Jays Happy Hour. We hope you guys are subscribing if this is your first time listening, leaving reviews, telling your friends, family, knocking on other people's doors, telling them about the podcast, whatever you do to get the word out. Uh, We appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next week.